Good morning, everyone. It's Britt, the petite polymath. You have jet lag to thank for this early recording. And uh, yeah, here we are. We're going to be talking about two books, How to Hide an Empire by Daniel Emmerwar and The Covenant of Water by Dr. Abraham Verghese. Stay tuned. Hello, it's been a bit because you know life has been lifing, but I went on vacation and it was glorious. And whenever I'm on vacation, I usually read more for pleasure. Although I have been reading kind of regularly in life, although not so much fiction, which is usually what I try to talk about on this show. Although sometimes nonfiction is compelling enough that I feel like I should uh, share it here. Of course, I try to make my thoughts concise, Um, so we're going to get right into it. Um, I read first How to Hide an Empire. It is nonfiction. You kind of wish that it was fiction. Uh, The author is Professor Daniel Emmerwar. He's a history professor at Northwestern University. Shout out to if anyone knows him personally, I would love to chat with him face-to-face, because he just seems like a very interesting guy. And I don't think he's that much older than I am. We're probably around the same age. He might actually be younger than me. Um, the book is, the subtitle of the book is A History of the Greater United States. And what he frames for us is this idea that the United States is not just the 50 states of America, but that the United States is actually um, part of a host of other territories, annexations by the government that are not states. So we're talking Puerto Rico and Guam, um, Hawaii and Alaska before they became states and the tensions that compelled them to become states. And also about places that are a little bit more far flung. So maybe the Panama Canal region or uh, the Philippines, uh, various islands in the Pacific, Guantanamo Bay, Um, yes, the U.S. Virgin Islands. I think I covered everyone. Suffice it to say, we do not learn about this in American history. When I was in high school, American history was hands down one of my favorite classes. History in general, I loved it. Uh, I found it dynamic and interesting, probably because I also had really excellent teachers. And then I didn't take any history in college because I tested out because I needed more time to do all the other fun things like literature because I was drowning in basic sciences because of medical school preparation. So I didn't get to take any college level history courses to really kind of sink my teeth into the more complex, um, nuanced history of our great country. Um, I think that there are some major themes here. And I had a little conversation with a friend who I really respect and enjoy the opinion of. I often give him a hard time because he only comes from me on social media to be contrarian isn't the right word, although it kind of appears that way to people who don't know him. Uh, And I think it might just be that we're looking at the same thing from different perspectives. He tries to make a lot of what about isms about, well, if we hadn't done it, somebody else would. I push back at that to the point that when, you know, I don't have children, he does. You don't raise a child telling them, well, if you don't hit the first 
you know, make the first puncher slap. If you don't grab what's yours first, somebody else will, and you're better equipped. I mean, we don't raise human beings with that knowledge, with that, with that framework. At least I hope we don't, because that doesn't make for a very peaceable world. And here we are in this world that is currently racked with all sorts of conflict of various types. And so I think that I would have more respect for the way that we, I don't know, maybe not even respect, but acceptance of our history, if we would be brutally honest about why we made the decisions we made. We live in a world that is not just always black or white for someone who loves to live in very clean places. I've learned that gray is usually where we end up in, varying shades of that. And, you know, people are complicated. That's why history is complicated. The motivations behind what they do, the fact that they can indeed evolve, realize they were wrong, um, the views of things like scarcity and fear that cause people to act on micro scales really kind of irrationally and horribly. So when you bring this up to a macro scale, you see how we have the issues we have in our world. And the United States just shows that it is not an exception to that. Um, what makes it exceptional is the fact that, you know, we were one of the first colonial states, right? You know, Australia comes after us. Um, and, and we, we, you know, decimate large amounts of indigenous people. We bring over laborers from other places purely based on the fact that they don't look like the quote unquote majority cast at the time uh, to do work that then that group can profit off of. And they would have just kept doing it for as long as possible, except for their hand being pushed. People come over to this country looking for a better life. And, it, and this, this book really does fit into the concept of um, Isabel Walker's cast as well, actually, um, because the way that the United States throws its weight around on the global stage is very much linked to white supremacy, very much so. The fact that the pushback of having Hawaii and Alaska was that there weren't enough white people settling the territories for them to be up for statehood. The fact that Puerto Rico still isn't a state. The, the, the fact that we would drop the Philippines um, in the midst of World War II and not protect it, not just because it's far away, but because people didn't have a sense of brotherhood because of those people over there that don't look like us. And in fact, I wasn't taught about the bombings of the Philippines by the Japanese and that the Japanese took that region over. I had no idea that the Philippines was like part of the United States in this way. My mind was blown. My mind was blown. Pearl Harbor is all we get taught about in school. And so then I understand now when I you know, was on the wards living in various places, um, having awesome Filipino nurses, why Filipino nurses come to the United States in droves. And, and what we were able to actually like export there, right? The excellence and standardization of nursing education, which is 
mind-blowing. So it talks about kind of how empire shifts from the need to colonize a place physically to soft power seems weird, but I guess it works. The ways in which culture and technology, um, intellectual empire takes over as we advance. I highly recommend this book. I had to just, I had to put it down sometimes, you know, no one's perfect. Lots of people throughout history have done really awesome things and been some really, really crummy people uh, personally. You know, we got Winston Churchill, we got Teddy Roosevelt, two men that I feel like I would love to be sitting in a library chatting with. Uh, but maybe they wouldn't want to do that with me. Or maybe they would just think, oh, what is this novel? Little Woman. Who knows? Uh, but we're complicated. So that is how I feel history should be taught, with that tension of human complexity, failing, and also triumph. How to hide an empire. Okay, I'm nine minutes and 30 seconds in. I gotta be, I gotta be tight here. That actually directly ties me into the fiction book I read, my friend Vicki, who, Vicki, if you're listening, thank you so much for recommending this book. And I don't think you realized the impact or how, um, how near and dear this author is to me. So The Covenant of Water, written by Dr. Abraham Verghese. He's an infectious disease physician. When I was in uh, college for a medical a neuroscience seminar, my like pinnacle seminar to graduate senior year, we had to read a ton of different books. And one of them that I, you could pick, you know, five out of 10 or whatever. And I wrote, read My Own Country. Um, Dr. Vergesi is of Indian descent. He is an infectious disease doctor right out of training in Johnson City, Tennessee, which is East Tennessee, as the AIDS epidemic starts to peak. And it is his story of him, you know, being an immigrant, adjusting to um, his patient population. East Tennessee is largely like rural white people. Um, and uh, how they accept him, how he learns to work with them, while also grappling with this very scary new virus that no one knows what to do with. It's about compassion, it's about empathy, being a physician. I'm a physician now, so clearly here you go. It had, it had an impact. So The Covenant of Water is um, about a family in southern India, a region that I know a little bit about, Kerala. My best friend growing up, her husband's from there. They have, uh, they have a couple kids, so they go back and forth. One of my uh, med school roommates, that's where her family is from. She came over as a small child, I believe. I don't think she was born in the States. And they all came over um, and settled in Tennessee, hilariously. Um, so I know something about Southern India. It is uh, a region where um, many Indian Christians who date their um, acceptance of the faith, I mean, you know, way back, older than the Catholic Church, may I add, we're talking St. Thomas, when he goes to India to spread the gospel. And so that's where they descend from. And, you know, uh, the families then intermarry because you've got these various religions, of course, in, in the country of India, Hindus, Muslims, Sikhs, uh, Zoroastrianism, can I even say that word? Um, Christians. And 
what's interesting to me is that the culture, the caste system, that framework, which is Hindu, um, does not escape the Christian population. They also have the caste system still. I have thoughts about this. I will go back to it. I will try to not talk for too long, but this might be a longer episode. And the main character, um, which I, uh, I have screenshot some quotes, I have taken some notes, but Big Amachi, which Mariama is her name, but her granddaughter takes her name Mariama as well. So Big Amachi is who I'm going to be um, referring to her as, is the, is the main character. She's a young child bride. She, um, her father, who protected her and her mom, dies. Um, and she is betrothed because her uncle wants to get rid of her um, to a much older man um, in a region, another region of India. She loves the water. He hates the water. And he has cleared this, this large expanse of land and has been building it. And he's a widower. He has a son. His wife died, I believe, in childbirth. He's a very kind man. And the way they would do these betrothals, which made me feel better, was that the, ch- the, the child bride would come into the home. And at the best of circumstances, this, this would work out. Um, the, the matriarch of that family or the sisters or whoever would raise her as one of the children. She would still be a child. So no consummation of marriage, just like learning how the household worked, getting an education, taking care of the kids, doing whatever a daughter in the house would do. And then when she comes of age, which would be more like 16, 17 for them, because it wasn't considered weird, um, then they would, get, they would actually consummate the marriage. Um, and that would, of course, I guess, be dependent on the decency of the man. Her husband is a lovely, lovely man, kind soul. Um, he loves climbing trees. He loves being high in the air. She finds out, ultimately, that the reason why she marries this wealthy man and why, why does he want to marry this child bride, right, is because he has something called the condition that runs in the family, which makes him really not very marriageable to most people. This is something that she discovers um, when she has her first child. Or actually, raising her stepson um, is when she learns of this. Uh, and it is a tale of her family that is also um, the tale of a young Scottish surgeon um, who ends up making his way to India by the Indian Health Services because of the caste in Great Britain of the English being on top, the Scottish being on the bottom, the Irish being on the bottom, and then don't be Catholic, right? Um, that these things are, are markers of you being inferior. And so he makes his way to the Indian, on, from the Indian Health Services from Scotland over, and, uh, and, their, and their family trees overlap. The whole concept of this, of this story is this idea of, because um, ultimately it's a family of, there's some physicians in this family, uh, that are looking for answers to a, a genetic disorder. Also, the idea of infectious disease comes in, leprosy, lep- leper colonies, which play a huge role um, in the developing world. And if you write a Bible in the biblical era as well, and some themes that shape the book 
the idea of caste, the idea of um, the relativism of, of oppression. You can be on a lower caste in one country and then be able to recreate yourself on a higher rung someplace else. Um, that caste is ecstatic. That even if you try to get above it, you, you will be pushed down by other powers. Once again, um, I said it's Bill Walker. It's Bill Wilkerson. Pardon my, mis, my misspeak <laughs> earlier. Um, and, her, and her book Cast points to this as well. Um, UK imperialism, which ties into how to hide an empire. Uh, benevolent oppression which is very part and parcel with like this kind of paternalism that we've seen in America, you know, um, people thinking that if they're more intelligent, they, that they, if they think they're more intelligent than a group based on gender or ethnicity or socioeconomic status, that they should be the one calling the shots, that these people can't handle freedom, can't handle making choices. Um, the, I was a good boss exploiting you. You should be happy to be here, which we see a lot, of course, in explanations of like these, you know, civil war deniers who like to call it, you know, say that slaves should have just been happy to be taken care of. Um, the eugenics of the past era talking about black people not being fit to take care of themselves uh, and have their own independence um, because they were like children. Um, we see that same language in capitalism even with, you know, fancy institutions who don't pay their employees a decent wage saying you should just be happy you have this name on your, on your resume. There we are. Um, nepotism and privilege, that you can be born into something and completely squander it. Doesn't mean that's gonna be the case, but there are people who just get lucky where they are and they still can't stand on their own two feet and do anything. And then there are people who have to claw their way and they sometimes make it and sometimes they don't, but they, they have more resolve than somebody who's had everything handed to them and still drops the ball over and over. Something that I found very profound was education shaping your view of the world. You know, Digby, who is the Scottish doctor, talks about how he didn't know anything about India before he got there. Um, about how um, there's, there's one point, and I think I, I thought I had posted it or saved it to read, but I can't find it now, so I'll paraphrase, about how public schools in the United Kingdom educate these young boys, these young white men of, of aristocracy to believe that they are better than everyone else to give them an imperialist mindset so that when they went to colonies, they had an internalized view of superiority that came out in the way they treated other people. This is why education is so important. This is why the way we tell history, the way we talk about cultures is so important to our children because you don't have to be explicit with, with, with any sort of ism. It is what you don't say that is just as important as as what you do say and how you say it that makes a difference. Um, there are, I love the ideas of wrestling with God, of faith and medicine, um, of the gift of pain, of the danger of indecision. These are all things that come up. Um, Big Amici is a Christian 
She has conversations with God, like some of the prophets of the Old Testament. It's really heartwarming. I was a little weepy on the plane because their family, the story is fraught with loss and sadness and also beauty. And, and it is um, the way that she handles it, um, being angry, yelling, saying, I don't understand you, trying to barter. And then also yet hearing God speak back to her through people, through experiences, in her own, in her own mind. It resonates very much with, with my own faith and um, the fact that, that life is um, all the things, which is something that is a theme of what I experienced on this vacation. Uh, so before I part with you, because I know I've gone way over what I would have wanted, I'm going to read a couple of quotes. So, ah, the, the love of reading and the escape um, that, it, that it brings. So, um, Begamachi's son, uh, Philip, um, loves to read. He um, has an aversion of the condition. And so, he's not a fan of water and, and different places. And his teacher is teaching him about reading English. And this man says this about fiction. Fiction is the great lie that tells the truth about how the world lives. Then uh, Bigamichi has a daughter, a very sweet daughter, that um, is named Baby Mole. Baby Mole has um, had an, iod- an iodine deficiency. And so what would have been called cretinism back back in the day where there's developmental delay because of this. Um, and it came from malnutrition when she was, you know, in utero and then born. She is childlike always. But because of this, she has no cares. She cares for the people she loves, she loves, but they stay static in her own mind. She just wants to make sure they're okay. And baby mole actually has a bit of a sixth sense. She knows when people are coming or going before they even show up. So she's kind of a seer. Um, And this is something that um, the author says, to see the miraculous in the ordinary is a more precious gift than prophecy, which I think is very true. And then um, how baby mole never worries. What is worry but fear of what the future holds? Which that'll preach. That will preach. And then there is um, a reference. So there's a character, Lennon, who also has the condition. He wants to be a priest. And um, he's writing to um, a friend at the time, his cousin. And it is uh, something that he says that he's been reading Rainier Marie Rilke um, about Life is in, um, like, living into, ah, living the question, not pushing for the answer, which I think at the end of the day is really what life is about. And boy, is that harder to do than it sounds. But that is what the covenant of water is about. It's about living the answer, living the question, goodness. Here I go, at the end, trying to tie it all together and completely dropping the ball. Living the question. Holding two things at the same time. 
that's what we're here to do. And to be kind to our neighbor. Oh my gosh. To be kind. To practice radical hospitality. I, I think that's more than enough. <laughs> I'm going to stop. I have some other books I need to finish. I'm excited. I'm back. Y'all take care. Polymath is a podcast from the mind of Brit Stone. Have a wonderful day.